Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this video podcast uh, in, in the run-up to the Omnichannel X conference. Uh, hopefully, you know by now that the 2020 conference is coming up June 8th to 10th in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Uh, my name is Nazar Bina. I am a program director and interviewer here on the podcast. Uh, I would like to thank my uh, regular subscribers for, for joining us again. And this is also the second session we'll be doing, doing uh, with uh, Gina Ballerin who's going to tell us a little bit about herself in a minute. Um, we've got some speakers that are add, adding up on the site. You can see some of those here. Uh, we've got a Margot Bloomstein from Appropriate Inc., uh, Cisco, Google, Accenture, Lullabot, the European Commission, and many more being added uh, just about every week. So we hope to see you there. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to flip over and introduce you to our speaker of the day. Is Gina Ballerin. So Gina, you're the author of The Power of Storytelling, uh, um, a very exciting book, and it's targeting a particular niche which probably doesn't get as much attention as it should. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, uh, and about the book? Cool. Nas, well, it's fantastic to have a chat with you again. Um, just to let you know, storytelling is kind of the essence of what I do. The book itself, actually, is called The Secret Army leadership, marketing, and the power of people. But effectively, it's about storytelling. And so when you think about the nature of storytelling, the reason that there is a picture of a tree growing organically out of a book is that that kind of concept is thinking about how do you build growth in your organization? Mm. Now, most people think about growth as uh, making revenue, acquiring new customers, a different regional diversity, but I think about growth as the ability to convince and to help more people through the services or the products that you offer. And an essential element of doing that is actually being able to tell stories that connect emotionally with your potential audience. And the best way of doing it, in my opinion, is actually to combine your secret army when you're doing that. So if we take a look at the elements of what's actually involved in a secret army, well, it, it seems pretty obvious, right? An, an army has two major complements. It has the, the leaders, so the generals, the people who look after your army, who make sure that they know where they're going and, and what you're trying to achieve and you know who you're fighting. And then the second element is your foot soldiers, of course. Now, the foot soldiers are the people who, in our normal day-to-day -day business lives, are actually walking and talking and solving problems, uh, whether they're creating software or baking cakes, it doesn't matter. Those are your, your foot soldiers in your corporate army. But what people often forget about, and the reason it's a little bit of a secret, which is not so secret when you really think about it, is that the third element of your secret army is in fact your customers. So when I talk about the power of stories, the power of storytelling, the power of growth, it's actually about how you use the delight and the emotions of your customers, particularly, and this is a really big one, the sense of pride about what they've actually achieved through the use of your product or services that makes them tell incredibly credible, valuable, and authentic stories on behalf of your business. And the result of that is that when people watch your stories or they read your stories or they listen to your stories, you're not selling to them because your customers are doing it for you. I think that there's something I want to just add to that. Uh, that 
resonates with me so much in so many of the organizations that I'm working to, especially large enterprises, they keep acquiring and merging and growing what it is they offer. So there's, rather than the focus on the, the, the marketing funnel, you know, the leads, leads become prospects, become sales, et cetera, uh, this kind of linear arrow of put more stuff in one end of the thresher and more stuff comes out the other, they're starting to realize that it's growing the relationship and growing your, they talk about footprint within, within, a, within a particular client. How do we grow how much of our offering, uh, which can take many forms of services and premium services, support and upgrades and modules and sub products or products that are, are we just bought or merged with, et cetera. How do we grow that relationship so that they're using more of, of, of our solutions? Well, that's a really important point you raised there about brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. And if we think about the ladder of loyalty and how people evolve over time, um, it is a question of, of how much do you connect with a brand? Okay, so the theory was that people are more emotionally connected with something that they buy directly. So uh, the theory was that people are more emotionally connected to B2C brands rather than B2B brands. So I love Rado watches, for example, and that's really meaningful for me because I have an affinity with the beautiful, elegant brand. Or I love Apple. Personally, I don't, but a lot of people do. They're absolute Mm. Apple fans. You know, they will buy the latest product just because they love Apple. What was interesting is when they did this research a few years ago, they realized that actually people have a greater emotional attachment to B2B brands because of the risk involved in Hmm. making their purchasing decisions. And so what ends up happening is that if you're spending tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars on whatever software it is that you're purchasing for your company and you're say the head of procurement, there is a massive emotional risk attached to you making the right decision with that brand. And so if it works and it solves your company's problems, if it's visible, and that's another story that we could talk about, you know, how visible is an actual brand that your company uses. If it works, people love it. It builds an emotional connection that is actually stronger than the brand that you as a purchaser spend your hard-earned cash to be able to afford. That's fascinating because I didn't, uh, I've never heard someone say that there's research to back that up. I find it intuitively true in the sense that I, I've, you know, I walked clients through these sometimes, as you say, multi-million dollar purchases, and it's a big deal. You know, you've got careers riding on this stuff. Absolutely, I, yeah. If I buy the wrong mobile phone, I'm, I'm annoyed for 18 months until I get a new one. Um, but <laughs> but uh, the, the, you're right, the, the potential fallout and impact in your entire life as an individual with, mm. an inter- with a business-to-business buy can be significantly, significantly greater, uh, several order of magnitude. Well, the interesting implication of that is that organizations talk a lot about brand. Now, brand was one of those nebulous subject matters that I was a little bit scared about talking about because I I felt like I didn't really understand it. And that's partly because brand, like strategy, is one of those words that people throw around and it could mean absolutely everything or it could mean completely nothing. The reason I think that brand and emotions and storytelling are now so intimately connected is because Once you do find a product or service that 
you've obviously invested in, you know, maybe your job's on the line with investing in this. And it, once you've seen it as a success, when it's, once it starts building a profile in your organization, that sense of pride, that sense of achievement becomes an all-encompassing ability to, to right, connect with people. And then what ends up happening is that wonderful thing called brand loyalty kicks in. And you were talking about how do you get people to buy more of your services, to expand them, not just into different geographies, because we know that large organizations, you know, you may have sold into the Finnish branch, but you won't necessarily have sold into the Australian branch. How do you actually expand the geography? Well, it's actually about expanding the product offering. And as companies, as you said, acquire more and more tools in the toolbox, how do they extend that brand so that people are as connected to a different part of their product offering, especially if it's not the same people in the, in the decision-making journey. And, and that's a whole different art and science of storytelling to make sure that the stories you're telling are still connecting with the audience. Because the bigger mm. your brand mm. set gets, you know, the, the more diffused it can become. And sometimes the harder it is to actually go, well, you know, once upon a time I sold it to say software developers. Now I'm actually selling it to finance, heads of finance. And they're both using my product, but they have completely different emotional attachments and engagements. And one brand umbrella does not a true brand experience make. So that leads me into a very interesting question because this, I can't, as much as we talk about stories in the market, uh, th this can all seem a little bit opaque. So the, the, we have our secret army that who are, who are going to uh, work around this story from this story concept from various concept uh, perspectives, but how do you find a good story? How do you, um, how do you leverage this army? That's such a beautiful question, Lars. The point about a secret army of storytellers is that people assume that marketers have the stories because they tell the stories. Mm. And let's not, you know, let's assume that all marketers are writers, which of course they're not. I mean, they're great graphic designers and SEO experts and demand generation experts. You know, let's not go into that detail now. Let's talk about the fact that someone is a good storyteller. But the thing that's important about stories is not just that someone is able to tell that story or put it in a framework where they encourage people to talk about it. It's actually who's doing the telling and who owns the stories. Hmm. So what I found through a, an ability to draw stories out of the secret army in your organization is that, yes, of course, it's about your customers. And of course, there are many ways to get stories out of your customers. To name a few, you could do webinars, you could do case studies, you could do written, written testimonials, podcasts, videos, even get them on client calls. You know, the, the possibilities, there's quite a long list of possibilities. I wouldn't say they're quite endless, but there are a lot of them. But that's the same applies and the same tactics can be used for the people within your organization. So actually, marketers need to expand their secret army to every single person who has contact with their customers. Every single person. That means that your customer service people are having contact with your customers. They have stories to tell. Your salespeople obviously have stories to tell. And they constantly crave stories. They ask marketing for stories all the time. And marketing goes, well, how am I supposed to know these stories? You know, you know the stories, you know the customers. And then the people who actually solve the problems for your customers, so the people who are actually on the service desks at the end of the day. And the problem is the larger an organization gets, 
the more disconnect there is between the people who tell the stories and the people who know the customers. So the art of science is actually, or the art and science of marketing is actually being able to identify where the storytellers are. And I talk a bit about this in a chapter called Secret Storytellers and Hidden Idea Generators. And effectively, the point is that behind the scenes, you have no idea how much hidden potential exists in your organization. And the real art is being able to find those storytellers who can contribute their words in a way that makes it meaningful. Not only does it make marketers' lives easier because they've got a much more diverse depth and breadth of talent that they can draw on, mm -hmm. but it actually means that you get a multitude of voices. And the talent that marketers have to bring is to being able to bring that so that it still sounds like a brand, that you're still making it consistent. But remember that anytime someone touches your audience, your customers, internally there is a connection that happens between them and when the customer is satisfied when the experience goes well it deepens that emotional connection with that brand and if you can capture those stories and then share them out with the rest of the world that creates stronger connections between you your customers and your prospects so that is a it, it, it just speaks exactly to the heart of why omnichannel x was born about um, integrating and governing across our different departmental silos and business functions for the for a win a win 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 situation so that the the staff the brand and the customers are all benefiting more by unblocking communications and having uh, an omnidirectional flow of content of stories of data that allows us to to collaborate better and to get more value out of each other in all directions. So I just I just love this stuff, um, but it does it does speak to a question of how do you set it up? So you say how do you how do you capture? How do you put in the pipes? How do you put in the workflows and the systems to move it from like marketers running around the entire enterprise with a clipboard, which is <laughs> kind of yeah, what I'm yeah, picturing yeah. when you talk. So tell tell us a little bit about how this works. Well, customers are out there. They have stories all the time. Are they actually happy all the time? Well, no, no one's happy all the time. So there is actually an art to capturing what I call the golden moment. That moment when your customer in, in a software example has, um, they've gone live long enough ago that the software has now been embedded in the organization. It's being used. If they had metrics about what they had before, they're starting to see those grow. They're starting to see success coming. They're starting to get that excitement. And that's partly why you have to have a direct line into the people who are setting up those relationships with your customers who are making the software actually work in reality. And that means you're capturing them at the right time because your account manager knows what the right time is. And then the next step is actually what people often fall at this first hurdle. And that is, it, you've actually got to ask your customers. Like it's a no brainer, but <laughs> you can't just expect customer stories to fall out of the sky. I mean, it would be great if they did. But <laughs> no matter how happy your customers are, they're not going to tell the marketing team that they're happy. They're going to tell whoever they have as a customer contact within that organization. Then comes the marketing part. Then comes the beautiful words and the beautiful images to be able to turn that into a story. And that we all know how to do as marketers pretty much. What we're not always good at is actually checking with our customers that they're happy for us to use it. Mm. And it's really important. 
a lot of companies um, don't like to have their brands and their logos used and that can be a massive hurdle and in my fairly extensive experience of collecting case studies over the years what I've found is one of the biggest problems um, marketing talks to someone in the organization who says let's do a case study you go yay let's all get on calls and we interview people and we get amazing stories and we get their pride and their enthusiasm and, and their ability to have solved a problem with our tool yay that's great right no it's not great because what happens if no one's told their marketing department. No one's told their HR department if it's HR software. No one's told their uh, legal team that it's going to be. You know, what about their brand team? And all of these people sometimes have to get involved. And the bigger the brand, the more likely it is that you're going to have to jump through all of these steps. And so what I now try to do, and I'll leave this tip with people, is effectively, if you're going to tell a story, first of all, make sure that it's a good story to tell, that you have a combination of great facts and then also great stories, compelling emotions that become mm. part of that. But then also make sure that you know what steps of approval people are going to have to go through before that case study can actually see the light of day. Because I've been heartbroken by telling too many stories that have never actually gone out to the public oh. because computer says no. It's, it's, it's sad. And then the next stage, the last stage almost, is to make sure that once you've got those stories, you can actually use them. And I've also worked in organizations where people tell stories, you capture stories from customers, and it's so long between the time that you have the conversation with the customer and they're happy and the time that the case study finally sees the light of day for, you know, the legal and the brand, et cetera, reasons, that what ends up happening is that story sits in a lovely little theoretical box in a marketer's office somewhere, and or, or worse, in a PDF that is not actually uh, SEO readable, and no one ever knows that that story exists. It's, it's so heartbreaking. They go through all that, then it becomes shelfware. Yeah. Ouch. Shelfware, okay. I like that. Yes, shelfware. Oh, I, I live in constant... Uh... As a consultant, I live in constant fear of, of my work becoming shelfware. <laughs> La last thing I want to do is, is spend weeks and months and put my life into a series of recommendations and, and, and guidelines and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then they go, thank you very much, and put it up on a shelf, and there it collects dust. That's, 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 I, I wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, I, I You're in the wrong line of business, Lars. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, too, too much passion for what I do. I think whatever it is I would do, I would still wake up in the middle of the night for some reason because <laughs> I was too excited about it. Um, can I ask you, I want to ask a little bit about the first two lines, the blue and the gray here. Catching mm -hmm. customers at the right time and ask to get the stories. So before the marketing bit kicks in, this is the part where I feel so many organizations struggle. How mm. do we get that communication actually going are like really um you know if i'll turn it back to you and say can you tell a story um tell us a story of they, they put in a wiki they put in a email box they put in a, what they did internal uh, what ring round blog post conference call what what are the the mechanisms that allow okay. this ca catching and transporting of from a sport person who doesn't see this as being their job you know yeah. how, how do you get the incentive and the, and, the, and the ball rolling with these people who are not seeing this as their, their role? Well, Nas, if it effectively comes down to relationships and mm -hmm. what we were talking about, the whole point of Omnichannel to get mm. people across the organization communicating and collaborating. Mm -hmm. And what it requires is a sense of uh, community internally, a sense of 
purpose, but also a sense of pride internally. Mm -hmm. So what has worked really well for me at organizations I've worked in in the past where this was actually successful is to be able to have conversation at senior levels to go, right, we agree we need to use our customer stories. Do we? Mm -hmm. Yes, because it's not a given. Okay, mm. great. We agree. Right. Now, who in your team is responsible for looking after customers and for having direct conversations with those customers? Great. Who in my team is responsible for turning those customer stories into a thing? Great. Mm -hmm. Now, let's connect the two of them. And what ended up happening was it wasn't just about uh, connecting them. It wasn't just about producing a spreadsheet. It wasn't just about putting times in everyone's diaries that you caught up regularly. And you could go through that list of, let's say we've got 20 candidates for case studies. We need to know, is it now the right time for us to capture any of those? It is actually Sorry, about not just, but you did that too. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay, of course okay. we did that too. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, so for the, for the layman, for the unindoctrinated, even, even that it was, it wasn't even clear. Like uh, what is the mechanism? Do you make a target list? Do you run over it? Like yeah, you gotta, you gotta you give go. it to me in, um, what is it? It's, okay. Uh, step give it to by me step. in horsey doggy buggy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. First of all, yes. and this is where I was going to, I hadn't quite got there yet. First okay. of all, you got to build the passion. Okay. You've got to realize that, while it may be marketing's responsibility to get the story in a beautiful format that goes out on the internet, it can't happen without the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. And often this is the first disconnect, the biggest hurdle, the thing that I left to last because it's like the most important. You have to build those relationships across the organization so that the person who sits on the phone every day going, hello, can I help you? Oh no, your software is broken again. I'm so sorry. And gets those rare moments when they're like, what? You mean I helped you? I saved you money? I made your day better? Oh my God, that's awesome. I need to tell someone. And they actually put that into some kind of format that they can send out to someone else in the organization. Because it does happen. Those moments of delight and joy and potential customer stories do happen. But they have to know that they're no more than just a cog in mm. the machine. And if it, it actually requires a visionary marketing leader to realize, A, that case studies and stories are really important to their business. And B, someone who has that interest in connecting different departments, who has that interest in saying, I want to know what are the problems you're solving for your customers? How are you solving them? How can we share those amazing things? That requires building before you can create all the spreadsheets you want. You can mm. nag and hassle your customer service representatives to have conversations with your customers and then tell you when the conversation was good, all you like, but if they don't believe in what you're doing, it will fail. Right. So there's a two way okay. thing here. There's the, there's the going out, understanding, at you as a, as, as if, if you're responsible for the stories, uh, then you, for getting them out there, you have to go out around to the different business functions, understand how they work, understand how they add value, understand what the potential good moments are. Absolutely. And then you've also got to sell them. So you've yes. got to, you've got to yes. learn, but you've also got to ex do an exchange where you say, and this is why you should engage in this process. I had an awesome conversation with a person whose job title is literally head of marketing strategy at mm -hmm. PwC last week. So, mm -hmm. you know, you figure she knows what she's talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And I was asking her to talk to me about marketing strategy for dummies. And effectively it came down to two elements. One, do your homework, like everywhere, absorb information, 
figure it out from every single part of your organization. Figure out what your internal stakeholders want, what your external stakeholders absorb, absorb, absorb. And then number two, figure out what the business wants. And then strategy was simply connecting the dots between the two. Like it's, it's, it's almost a no brainer. And yet the problem is that most people don't do that before they run away and create a marketing campaign. Mm. And so the reason I mentioned or, or throw that, a bunch of money at an agency. Yeah, and exactly. They go. The re Precisely. So what has to happen in this process of connecting with other people in the organization is to actually help them realize that collecting the information is not just going to sit in that box on the file and never have anything done with it. It's actually got to turn into action. And they've got to realize that their people are important, not just to the jobs that they do every single day. Like you were saying, how do you get people to spend time doing this stuff? It's actually about how do you get them to feel pride and value in what they're doing? Because then the stuff that they're doing that is not part of their day job actually becomes the reason that they come to work. Ooh, and that, that creates this momentum that actually connects you directly with the people who are solving problems for your customers. And it's amazing the excitement, the enthusiasm that can build from this simple process of connecting people. This really does sound potentially transformative. Uh, I love it. And I, and I love how it connects with uh, what we're trying to do at, at Omnichannel X. Exactly. So, uh, so then there is a coming back to the, uh, I'm always the, 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 the pragmatist and the, okay. And so how do we do, I love the concepts. I love the strategy, but as you know, it's always my job to connect between the vision, the visionaries and the doers and gay. Okay. Yep. So yep. what's the next pragmatic step in the process? So now what? So this comes back to actually, you've got the idea, you've built the momentum, you've built the enthusiasm. What do people do next? And it comes down mm -hmm. to the things I was saying, you don't just do this, but you do have to do this. Mm -hmm. You have to know who's having those customer conversations. You have to commit to having regular conversations with them. You have to get business buy-in from the leaders of their organizations that agree that it's worth them spending a certain amount of time on these conversations. You have to commit to doing it regularly. Mm -hmm. And they also have to see well, this is number five, they have to see the output of what they're doing. Mm. And that's often a failure in marketing, especially if it takes a hugely long time between the idea of a happy customer and actually being able to deliver some kind of output, webinar, case study, testimonial, landing page, blog post, whatever it is. And so once you've got that story finally, and you're going to unpack it, then comes what is one of the superpowers of an awesome marketing team. It becomes that combination of two halves coming together uh -huh. and making a beautiful heart. Okay? <laughs> and those two halves are converse of our, our content marketing and demand mm -hmm. generation, or in okay. other words, your story and your amplification. Okay. So you've got the story, you've got it in a beautiful format, you've got everyone in the organization helping you to build that story and to put it together. Like we said, if it's shelfware, like there's no point. There's mm. literally no point for wasting anyone's time in the process. So you have to be able to put the stories out there in a way that people can see them. Well, there's, there's theoretically tons of different places that you could put the stories. Absolutely. So uh, have, you, have you seen organizations that really do a good job of, of prepping the raw material for all these different uh, uh, channels across the omni-channel spectrum? That's a 
good question that you ask, Naz. I think the nature of organizations is that they tend to excel in certain areas. There are some mm -hmm. organizations that do marketing remarkably well and that are able to touch a whole bunch of different parts of marketing that are able to use lots of channels. But what we've got to realize is it's not about lots of channels. It's about no, the right no. channels. Yeah, yeah. Not, not mass. Just yeah, the exactly. ones that, just, no, but no, no company has, uh, you know, theoretically, you could prove me wrong with an exception, but very few brands today will have less than three or four. So, and even three or four, it's a lot to prepare your stories effectively for that and, and get a, a machine operating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming you, you mean three or four brands, three or four marketers, three or four. Oh, no, three or four channels, three or four ways oh, right, that right, you right. get, your, yeah, get yeah. your stories out there. Yeah, you can have dozens of ways. I mean, there's mm -hmm. an art to being able to take a single piece of content. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of a case study and being able to use that everywhere. Okay, so this model here that you see up on the screen, which is quite hard to read, is what mm -hmm. I've created called Stories as a Service. So I am a, uh, a marketer, I'm a storyteller, I'm a speaker, as well as someone who actually writes behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And what happens with stories as a service is because I write for a lot of software as a service companies, this is almost the model that I created to figure out how do we make sure that your customers are touched, that you're using the right tools in the right places with mm -hmm. the content that you've created, which is, you know, in it's, it's online and it's going back into your sales process and you're using all of the tactics that you can to amplify it online that, that's, that are relevant to your audience. But what often happens in B2B contexts is that the way people really connect emotionally with other people at the organization is through physically meeting them, shaking hands, yeah. going to an event. And so the story behind stories as a service and where it came about is that I actually went to uh, one of my customers, customers event. So the software company was hosting a day where they brought along uh, their existing customers. They brought along some prospects as well. They asked people to speak up on stage and they said, hey, Gina, would you like to speak about the secret army and, and relate that back to our secret army of customers? Like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll jump up on stage. And interesting because I'm speaking in Sweden to an organization you know, of Swedish people. Thank God mm -hmm. Swedes speak excellent English so they can understand exactly what I'm saying because Goodness knows, I could see the slides, I could recognize the slides, but I had no idea what they were talking about the rest of the event. But what happened is I stood up on stage and I told a story about one of their amazing customers. Now, in this instance, their customer was doing some kind of automation software and they were basically taking paper out of the process. And once they did that, and it took them many years to be able to convince their organization to invest in tool, they threw a party. They were so delighted about this that they actually decided we're going to make this going green thing a theme. And oh. somehow they managed to time the launch of their event or the launch of their product with St. Patrick's Day. So you and your most European audiences will know that St. Patrick's Day is of course green. Mm. And the theme was going green, getting rid of paper. So what they did is they had a massive recycling day and they encouraged everyone to get rid of the paper in their drawers, to clean out their office spaces and uh, to go green in that perspective. But they even went as far as having green cake and green beer. Green beer, I kid you not. And it's in St. Patrick's Day. You drink beer on St. Patrick's Day, you know. So Who they went green. So they not went sure I'd like green beer, but hey. 
they they actually uh, inter intertwine their narrative with the with the greater holiday narrative and Absolutely. the branding. Absolutely. It was genius. And the fact that this came from an accounts payable team, you know, you wouldn't have expected that, but it, it worked and it worked brilliantly for them. But what happened, and this is the magic that evolved stories as a service, is the audience got so excited about the concept of building a secret army, of building pride in the product mm. that they'd purchased, that I managed to connect the people who were seeing me up on stage with the audience who could hear that story. And customers actually came to me and said, I built a secret army around this product. I want to tell my story. Help me tell my story. I'm like, awesome. And the, because the salespeople were excited, they're like, oh, I know this prospect and this prospect, you need to talk them to them now. And the next day they had a customer event and we got a whole bunch more people to say, yes, I'll talk to you on, on, you know, you can record me on audio in audio format. Someone else said, yeah, sure. You can get a testimonial from me. And someone else said, yeah, sure. We can do a case study. And it became this amazing service of stories. And what ended up happening is it much like I talked about the strategy of building that emotional connection, building that sense of value and of pride in the organization. I happened across this fantastic experience of building pride across your customer base through an event that activated customers that then turned into marketing content so that we could roll that out, we could amplify it, we could put it online, we could build it back into the sales process so people could sell it again. But it all started way back before the event happened. So it's Because if we hadn't been able to... Um, absolutely. If we yeah. hadn't identified... The, the customers beforehand, if we hadn't contacted them on the days, and sometimes if we hadn't realized that actually in their contract already, there mm -hmm. was something built in to say, yes, we have negotiated a discount and we agreed to give you a case study off the back of it. Mm. If we hadn't asked them and if we hadn't really felt them, made them excited about something that they felt they wanted to praise mm. or thank them for being able to give this, you know, it wouldn't have worked as effectively. But you're right, it was a virtuous cycle because once we build that customer story and share it with customers in a way that creates that excitement, it almost makes customers go, wait, hang on a second, I've, I've got a story to tell as well. I wonder if anyone would be interested in hearing my story. I think it's, I, I just, it just, you know, it makes me think about is a, is a dinner party where, okay. you know, the conversation can be very weather, uh, you know, how'd you get here, <laughs> la di la. And then if someone tells a good story, it is immediately contagious. Everyone, You're right. else, everyone else wants to jump in with their story. And there's a switch from, there's a switch from chat to an exchange of stories. And when you feel mm -hmm. that moment in a group of people, it's electric. And, and, right. and you can see people kind of like bouncing in their seat, wanting to be next, wanting to be the one who gets to, to hold the conch. And and tell their tell their story next, and I, I think I, I think what you're doing is you're you're leveraging that you're scaling it up to the enterprise level, but it's so intuitive, uh, and how it would absolutely make sense that if you can get this virtual cycle uh, spinning, I'm almost imagining, uh, you know, how do you you know does anyone want to hear all these stories? <laughs> yeah, how do you, there could be so many people in a large brand, and it's a, it's a matter of actually. Um, I was thinking then, how do you softly let people down? If someone comes in with their nice story and you're like, it, you know, we just, we don't have enough bandwidth or we've told a too similar story already. Um, you're, 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 we thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> I can imagine that having to be part of this process.
it's a nice problem to have. I'm not sure I've come across. No, that's not true. I have come across that story in that I've been interviewing people much like you do mm. um, to ask them for their stories. And, and they got so excited about it. They recommended me to other people. And eventually I'm like, whoa, I can't <laughs> get all your stories. I was having a conversation with the editor of Marketing Magazine here in Australia recently. And he was saying, yeah, he has the same problem. Mm. And until you said that now, I was like, oh my God, I never realized this. I literally had the hairs on my arms standing up as you were talking about effectively story contagion, because that's yes, what it is. Absolutely. It's like infectious. And what he did is he solved the problem by saying, you know what, I just interview everyone. And then when I have time, then I turn it into a story that I can actually do. And I think if organizations got to a point where they were, they had more stories and they knew what to do with, I mean, hallelujah. No? Yeah. Absolutely. I think we're far away from being able to have that yet, but it does, it does become a thing. And story contagion is effectively, it's part of our human DNA. Mm -hmm. You think we come from our fundamental human roots where we were trying to understand our world. And there's a reason why people told stories about the stars in the sky or made up uh, imagine you know what are the constellations? They stand for something, you know, in, in Australia, they talk about the stories of the dream time. What happened mm. at the beginning of the world when the earth was created? Stories are a way that we use to make sense of our world. And we forget because we're so evolved as human beings. We forget that we came from deep human roots where literally sitting around a fireplace and trying to make sense of our world was about telling stories. We're so on why a, should we deny our ability to do that with human beings in our business context? So I am, I am, um, I'm, what is it called? I'm, I'm uh, stealing my own thunder here because I hadn't planned to talk about this <laughs> until later. But this it's so uh, it's so um, germane to this conversation. The I've been thinking about content uh, and what is content and how content, besides being stuff you put in containers and, and you ship around your messages, it is us. It's culture. It's history. It's like, as you think about linguistics or when they talk about the evolution of words and so on, they don't talk about when the word was invented because they can't. They cannot speak about when we started using a word. They talk about when the word became content. They talk about when the first recorded written instance of the words started coming out by who, when, etc. And then whoever wrote it down first, whoever turned it into content, they are attributed with inventing this word, which they could have heard for five years down the pub. But until it becomes content, that's the transition when it becomes mm. part mm -hmm. of the history of humanity is we, when we go from the, the story and we, we take it from being as in, uh, or come back to what we were discussing earlier. If we take it from conversation and chat and it becomes a story it takes on story structure then it takes on a new life and it takes on a longevity and uh, potential contagion uh that 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 ordinary ordinary words ordinary chat ordinary day-to-day -day stuff doesn't have and, and so okay i um i i want to i want to go we take enough a very lovely arc of the happy path. Um, I am, I'm, I'm incredibly inspired now, and I hope that our, our readers are being inspired to understand no matter how, what part of the organization you are in, you know, uh, you know I work a lot with marketing. Uh, Gina is, is, is a, a tried and true marketer, but remember that whomever you are, if you're in UX, or if you're in support, if you're in technical documentation, if you're in sales, I mean, if you're listening to this, 
that you're part of this stories as mm. service ecosystem that mm. you can you can you can plant the seed um, of this tree by talking to other people in your organization, talking to your marketers, talking to your managers, um, and because you have a valuable story to tell. But what about when it doesn't go so well? So we've tried to do this, and we're trying to create good stories. We're trying to capture them. What do we do if it's not landing the way we would like? Well, I like to use an acronym. Okay. So when people don't share your stories, when they have these stories that they hide because they don't want anyone else to know that they're doing great work behind the scenes, don't get angry, get irate. Not angry, the synonym, but actually it's an acronym. It stands for interesting, relevant, appropriate, timely, and both entertaining and engaging. Mm -hmm. The point about this is that it is possible to tell any story. People, humans do it. You know, you go, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I went to ABC. And there's a difference between just repeating a set of actions and having a cadence, having a hero, having a journey, mm. having a, a, a goal, a desired outcome. And part of that is to make that story interesting. And part of it is to make sure that it's actually, it resonates with your audience, mm -hmm. that it's appropriate for the context that you're in, that it's the right timing for people to be able to talk about it, but also that they're engaged somehow. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I went to, this, uh, to the beach this weekend and something happened to me. Mm -hmm. Someone says to me, so Gina, how was your weekend? Yeah, I went to the beach and I lost my shoes. And so I had to walk home fine who cares right list of facts but if you tell it as a story it's like so what did you do this weekend oh my goodness i had the most terrible weekend so you know i live five miles away from the beach right hmm. well i hiked to the beach and i was really excited about it and the water was warm and i took off my shoes i could feel the sand between my toes and so i jumped into the sea and when i came out again someone had stolen my shoes and I had to walk five miles home with no shoes. It's amazing I'm even at work today because I have such bad blisters on the bottom of my feet. It's a totally different thing. Totally different thing. It's interesting. Now, it's relevant because you're talking about what happened and you, you can kind of emotionally connect with what's happening to them. Is it appropriate? You know, not, yeah, probably. I mean, it's, it's what you did this weekend. Someone asked you. But the point is it's that it's an appropriate example for this, for this discussion. <laughs> exactly. And what ends up happening is you can feel the narrative. You can connect emotionally with it. You can sense the sea. You can feel the blisters and the pain on someone's toes. You can get the emotion of, you can almost imagine that you're stepping on that sandy beach and diving into that cold water, right? And I think the problem has been in marketing that we tend to take ourselves far too seriously. Mm. And we forget that actually, especially in B2B marketing, we're talking to humans. It's not B2B. It's not B2C. It is H2H. It's human to human. You might be buying a product, but at the end of the day, you're, buy you're selling it to another person. And so the only way to actually be able to connect with that person is to be able to be a little bit brave and to tell those stories in a way that you can kind of Put yourself in their shoes or not in their shoes in the case of someone who might actually be walking five miles from the beach. Don't steal their shoes. <laughs> exactly. Gina is not advising that you steal people's shoes. <laughs> no. 
Okay. Um, I want to jump in here. I've got a, a um, it's not an acronym, it's a, but it's, it is a model called about 4D content. And it mm -hmm. talks about uh, depth and time as being the forgotten dimensions of content. Um, and so, I mean, interesting when you talk about, uh, there's of course relevance is a, is, a, is a dimension of that, about uh, is it relevant for the moment, but it, it's relevance and timeliness and appropriate. So is it the right person uh, to hear this story? So I think about that there's lots of parameters there, like is it a relatable story by the business problem? Is it a relatable story by the industry? And is now the time to hit with me a case study? You know, mm -hmm. does does mm -hmm. it is the is the implementation team in the middle of a of a of a of a three month overrun? Is the account mm -hmm. manager saying, "Don't talk to them right now. <laughs> this is not the time to show up with your with your with your stories." Um, mm -hmm. uh, so there's, I think, there's lots of aspects here. Um, do you have any? Do you have any stories of people where people were able to use? I'm thinking about modern digital technologies to time the 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 placement of a story with their audience to, to try to to try to touch on all of these to make sure that they're getting uh getting things getting things right well the interesting thing Nas, is that timing is actually one of the hardest elements to crack it is possible to get timing better Mm -hmm. And a lot more of what we know about organizations by reading their digital body language means that it is easier to bring content to them at a more or less right time. Mm -hmm. uh, LinkedIn has become a surprisingly useful source in this context, uh, especially in terms of when people change business, change jobs. So let's say you're selling a piece of software, you want to talk to a CFO, when's the best time to sell it to someone? Well, it might be at the time when there's a new CFO in place. And you know that they want to shake things up a little bit. And so that's when you hit them with a whole bunch of new marketing. And LinkedIn can tell mm. you that because their job title's changed. Um, it's also possible to see using IP, um, uh, IP searching, IP technology, mm -hmm. where people are actually starting to identify that a whole block of the city, which belongs to a particular organization, is starting to look for certain trends and terminologies. Oh, wow. And it is actually possible to make sure that you are then targeting the marketing messages that you've got back to that IP block specific, specifically. Specifically. Wow. Yes. That's it's really, a thing. It so, okay. Okay. But the real point to try and get to is that unless you get the fundamentals right about who you're talking to and what problems you're solving for them, um, you can't really use those tactics and you can't really use what marketers are talking a lot about, which is always on digital mm -hmm. marketing and always on is a great idea the theory is that you uh, have a message and you keep drip feeding it to people so that when eventually they do wake up and go okay right i've done all my financial planning now i really want to get this out in the market who's going to help me solve my problems mm -hmm. you know then you're available for them mm. uh, but what frustrates me enormously and having seen the evolution of what happens with seo over time and what's happened with google over time is that once upon a time it was far more possible to see what people were looking for. Mm. And now Google's taken that insider view kind of away from the people who could benefit from it and they make you pay for it. And that's their business model and it is the way it is. But to a certain extent, it is far less possible to crack that timing part of the three dimensions of content unless you have some kind of insider information. Mm. And let's not forget that part of that insider information comes back to 
who are you connected with humanly, emotionally in the organization? That's mm -hmm. why no matter how good marketing is, I do believe that it will never be possible to eliminate salespeople, especially good salespeople who understand their audience because they have relationships with the right people at the organizations and they know people who are going to give them that tip to say, hey, by the way, we're looking for a new X. Mm. I know that you do that. You need to come and talk to us. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, I think that that ends on a very nice message. Um, I've got uh, Gina's information here on the screen. If you are listening to this, because I think this is actually going to go out on the audio podcast as well, because I think um, Gina is is so lucid and fluid and eloquent that I don't think you even need to see some of the images that we're looking at. Uh, but if you are looking at the images, you can see some more information about her there. And uh, finally, uh, uh, some more information on, on the conference. Uh, it's going to be in Amsterdam, and we've uh, added quite a few names to the sponsor and speaker list, which we're very excited about. So we do hope we see you there. And if you can't come there physically, then we hope you see you in the next episode of the podcast. Gina, thank you again. It was uh, an exquisite pleasure as always. Thank you, Naz. And thank you, listeners and viewers. Keep telling stories, guys. Change the world. Until next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.